for anybody else. Uh, I'll just start at seven o'clock and probably do a couple of 30 minute sittings. If nobody joins me, that's okay. It's not too much extra trouble for me to go ahead and open up on Zoom. So, uh, but if you uh, are similarly inclined and would like to uh, uh, have somebody to sit with, I can assure you of at least one person that will sit with you. So. Keep when that in mind on November 3rd. What's that? Oh, so I was, I'll get my tea. I said, when was that? November 3rd? Yes. Seven? Yeah. Also known as election day. Ah. <laughs> that's, that's the purpose. And, and I'll start at seven and I'll, I'll make reference to it in passing my emails this this coming Monday and the following Monday. Is so, that going to be a 24 hour marathon? Um, it could be. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep the room open. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to suggest that I'll be there for that stretch of time, but, uh, but I might pop in from time to time. So. All right. Well, uh, then let's let's dive in because we're entering into such a rich part of the text not that the the sections we've we've re just traversed over the past few weeks haven't been rich but for me you know where where we're about to tread is really deeply impactful so uh we may not, uh, not that we're known for, for uh, speedily working through these texts. Uh, it might even slow down another notch or two. So just so you're forewarned. But where I'm gonna start with tonight is where Shahaku comments about for Dogen and for all of those who enter on this path that Dogen is, is recommending to his disciples, that, uh, that everything he wrote, all the words he conveyed was interconnected, not only with the entire body of his teachings, the interconnections of all the words of of all the fascicles of Shobo Genzo and all the other teachings that he, uh, he presented over the course of uh, his teaching career. But maybe even more importantly, they're deeply connected with all of his experiences in life. And that's applicable for all of us. And it's really important to kind of grow into that understanding manifestation in our practice. That this isn't just true of, of words that we convey to others, but also of the words that we receive from others in these texts and in all the various teachings uh, that we receive through all the various media to us in this day and age, that the important thing is, the, the essential thing is that as you take them in, they begin inevitably to connect in ever deepening ways with the experiences of your life. In fact, I mean, this is kind of what Dharma teachings are when they're really alive rather than just trying to convey what some ancient old Buddha taught, as important as that can be sometimes. But it's really about <clears throat> enabling people to make those connections in their life. So, because that's where the Dharma exists. 
It's not on a printed page. It's not even in a spoken word. It's in how, your reception of it and, uh, and how it connects to the entirety, the microcosm that each of you constitutes. That's the Dharma. So the Dharma, that's why it's ever fresh, ever evolving through the ages as different individuals in different times and places process these basic teachings. And we're going to be looking pretty deeply at this over the next couple of weeks. So hold that thought in mind. Not that we're supposed to hold thoughts. So not too tightly, but loosely. Just kind of keep it in the neighborhood. Let it keep coming back through. So as Shahaku puts it, then we apply the teaching in our lives, searching for the meaning in our own experience. And this is what allows it to go deeply within us. It's not like so many types of religious teachings where they're just thrown out there and this is the way it is, just remember it, accept it, and, uh, and, and that's pretty much it. This, this sense of searching for the meaning in our own experience is letting it connect to your life. What does it mean? for you? How does it resonate for you? So now let's get back to the mountains, because that's why everybody's here, because we love the mountains. And that's what we're going to talk about next is the love of mountains. The mountains belong to the people who love mountains. This love is important. Of course, it's not a clinging, grasping, selfish type of love. When we love mountains, they belong to us and we belong to mountains. In fact, as happens with true love, there's, there's no separation. So this belonging is uh, an intermingling. We talked about that I think it was last week, in connections with, with uh, when we're walking in the mountains, the mountains are also walking. And it's we compared that to Genjo Koan's teaching about the fish in the water, the fish swimming in the water, and the water is swimming with the fish. When we see intimately, the connectedness between those two. Forming, and, and here the fish in the water example makes it a little clearer for us maybe in terms of an ecosystem, which consists not just of the uh, organisms within a given region, but of the environment as well. So when we talk about environmental studies, you know, that's why for the fish, that would include the water. 
the chemical composition of it, the temperature of it. That's part of its ecosystem. So just from that standpoint, it begins to drop us into the understanding of, of the oneness. And of course, the fish, their existence in the water impacts the water. So it literally is as though the ecosystem is one being. It can easily be seen that way. But that's not the way we normally see things. When we're in the mountains, or when our activities impact the mountains, you know, I know in uh, in our discussions in the past, Joe has talked about the uh, the effect of of mining. Just completely defacing mountains. One can imagine what Dogen's reaction would be to that if he uh, stepped into a time machine and suddenly got dropped into uh, late 20th century. West Virginia, Pennsylvania, to see what was happening to his beloved mountains. And he would think that people no longer love mountains. What has happened to us? So essentially, this loving mountains and how they belong to us and we belong to mountains, as I've been coming back to several times now, this isn't only about mountains. It applies to all things. So we can expand on this to look at it in terms of how we are living within the network of interdependent origination. And we love this network. Realizing that that is our existence. It's not us as these small little selves. It is the network of interdependent origination. So to be intimate and to be one with that is, is to be intimate and one with your life, with your existence. And there's a beautiful way, I think, where we, we actually get that, experience that through this practice, the sense of wholeness. And of course, coming back to the mountains, we're living in the mountains together with all other beings. So all of these metaphors and images are to take us out of our sense of self, our limited sense of small self, of manas, the seventh consciousness in Yogacara teachings, our egoic self. We're living in the mountains, in the valleys, wherever we happen to be in the cities, in the countryside together with all other beings.
So one of the precepts is about there's no stinginess, which is so important because we are living with all beings. So when stinginess arises, we're not one with the mountains. We're not one with all beings. And we feel that. Because it doesn't feel good to be stingy. It leaves us finished. Especially if, if we're engaged in a practice that is about expanding our sense of self, of who we truly are, of what our true nature actually is. So Shahaku puts it, Dogen's use in this text of mountains and waters, He's using these to talk about the reality of our lives before any separation between self and others. Before, kind of like original face. So this is the one seamless life and time. And here, Shahaku takes a moderately deep dive into Dogen's fascicle Uji, being time. And I'm going to take this opportunity to put in a plug. Just, you know, when you're looking for a new text to read, Being Time by... Uh, Shinshu Roberts. This is was published, uh, I don't know, was it five years ago? Something like that. Uh, no, more recent than that, 2018. Uh, it's a really wonderful, skillfully written commentary of Uji. And Interestingly, Uji was written within weeks of when Mountains and Water Sutra was written. So they're uh, contemporaneous texts. So clearly, as Dogen was writing each of these texts, you know, what was being conveyed in one was impacting the, uh, the contents of the other. They're very closely linked. And Uji is so fundamental to Dogen's teaching. I mean, we've, we've already encountered it when we were looking at uh, Katagiri's text on it. But that was more Katagiri creatively explicating the teachings within it where Shinshu Roberts is, is a, a closer read of the text itself. So it lacks the flair of Katagiri, but I think you come away with, from her text with a, with a deeper understanding and appreciation of Dogen's text itself. So both of them are really important texts in my estimation. So now we're going to be looking <coughs> at time. And, uh, and that's why I thought we need to take the time to look at time. It's, <laughs> it's just the way time is, you know. If you don't have the time for time, you're really, now, now there's no hope. You're, you're so rushed, you don't even have time for time. That might be the story of our existence these days. But we're going to take the time. So in these mountains and waters of the present, 
And as Shahaku expresses, it gets our attention, says the word present is a very important expression. One of the key words in Dogen's philosophy and practice. The present. In fact, hearkening back to Genjo Koan, an er much earlier text, the one we were looking at at Chikoji recently, <coughs> Genjo is to manifest. Manifesting is to make present. Actual or to actualize is another term for it. And maybe one, one additional synonym that really nails it in terms of its relationship to present is instantiation in this instant is how things are made manifest, how they are actualized, made actual, how they are instantiated. That's Genjo, that's manifesting. And it's always in the present. But of course we have a different, more abstract view of time with our senses of past, present, future. And this also relates to Mountains and Water Sutra because in this text, Mountains and Waters, Dogen is contrasting mountains and waters seen by the true Dharma eye and by our karmic eyes. Karmic eyes, of course, being our, our eyes from small self, the seventh consciousness, our small egoic self. So there's that contrast in mountains and mountains and waters. And Uji in, similar, in a similar way compares time as perceived by these different eyes. There's the true Dharma eye that sees the present and the present encompassing all the times and all three of the times are empty. But yet our karmic eyes have that clear sense of past, present, future. And that kind of drives our experience of things in ways that can pose lots of challenges and problems for us because we turn them into something substantial. I mean, just think about future anticipation. And if you think about future and anticipation, the next in, in this word association, anxiety seems to come. <laughs> so we, we've got that we really turn it into something that that uh, that gets a lot of our attention. But yet it's all happening right now. That's the thing. We're concerned about this future event, like on November 3rd, but our concern is right now. It's all happening, it's manifesting here and now. This is what's being presented by Uji. So mountains and waters has a lot of similarity in terms of the overall structure to the practice that's being presented for us. Viewing things from the true Dharma eye and through our karmic eyes. So with reference to time, Uji means being time. And Dogen selected that title because he 
stated that being is time. Is time. And time is being. Very similar to the Heart Sutra about form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Being is time. Time is being. So time is being, just based on the brief comments I just made, you may be able to, to kind of glean how Genjo factors into that. That the present time is reality. Your life, your reality is here and now, in this place at this time. But this place includes all places. So it's not limiting in any way. And the same is true for time. This time encompasses all times. But they only exist right here. The outer edge of the universe exists right, right here. Uh, though the observers with their telescopes recording the light energy that's being received, making calculations based on things like red shifting, how far away are they? And then they write them up in scientific journals and books designed for slightly slower lay people like me to get a handle on what what's out there, what's being described. That's all right here. Both the, the expansive time that they're describing and the expansive space, because as we know, through the teachings of figures like Mr. Einstein, those are tightly bound together, space and time. Speak about interdependence. That probably would have come as a bit of a surprise to Sir Isaac. He, he had this notion that they, they existed substantially as these absolutes. So a theory of relativity would have taken a back, I think. So talking about no separation before, the fact that we can't separate time and existence is an essential point in Dogen's teaching. There's no separation there either. And to my knowledge, you know, this is uh, a first in Buddhism for somebody to, to convey this kind of teaching that we can't separate time and existence has a very contemporary ring to it. Sounds like the sort of thing that could have been written fairly recently. This is one of the reasons why Dogen gets the amount of attention he does these days. Because you know, he doesn't come across as one of these ancient Buddhists comes across rather as a very contemporary type figure. Who in some ways we're still trying to catch up with. <laughs> Nearly 800 years later.
So the time right now is all there ever is, which implies, as Dogen's laying it out for us, that each being time is without exception entire time. This will sound familiar to those that were along for the uh, journey through Katagiri. But it's important to revisit that because what, and to really work with it and see what's being conveyed in terms of uh, the way I like to see it is we use this unfortunate term of emptiness to, to, uh, as a translation of shunyata, but it's really fullness. And that's what this is pointing to, that the present moment includes all of time. It's certainly not just about the present because the present is not real. And we've talked about that before. It's what is the present? It's gone. There's nothing there. The fleeting present it's described as. It's so fleeting, it's never there. It's the water that's just constantly running through your hands. As we diligent hand washers these days can appreciate, put the hands under the faucet and you can't hold on to it. It's just running right through. But washing all those germs away, at the time being, taking them away too. So there's no present. So time only exists as this entirety of past, present, and future, none of which individually is real. But this is existence for Dogen. Time is existence. Of course, existence isn't real in, in the ordinary view. So they, they kind of join up in, in a beautiful way that way. Time isn't real, but time is all-encompassing. And it's important when we separate out past, present, and future, we, we keep that in mind. It's not that it's illegitimate to, to treat time in that way. There's a reason why we do. It serves a purpose. But we need to understand that that's just, is, is uh, I think the term, maybe the best term for it is heuristic. It's, it's a kind of a, a tool we use, kind of a shortcut to, to orchestrate things. But the fact that we can use it in that way doesn't make it something that's real. It's just a tool we use to see it that way. And then to come back to existence, and the same thing applies. So, I mean, of course, we, we treat all these individual objects and cells as separate entities because it's, it, there's a reason why we do that. But it's also important that we, we recognize that ultimately, you know, we are part of the vastest ecosystem. So just as in, in uh, society at large and certainly in science, you know, we're understanding uh, how vital ecosystems are for the well-being of those populations that live within them. That they're not separable. As soon as you separate it out, you've really 
miss you're missing reality and you can't effectively work with it any longer you've kind of defaced misrepresented the real story so we need to always keep the real story in mind while as a heuristic device of course we we treat objects and other people as separate entities because they we display characteristics like that but all of those characteristics are also also due to interdependence and only exist because of that so we could take for each individual each characteristic and at least theoretically not that we'd ever have that kind of data although we're getting there in this day and age of <laughs> big data we'll have enough to trace everything back but every characteristic you know, not just what kind of music and books you like to buy amazon's already got that but every characteristic you'd be able to to pin that back where where does that uh what's the source of that where did that originate and how each of those things kind of branch off into other areas and this web of interdependence influences on us all these things that create us as unique individuals but what makes us each unique individuals is this entirety that we exist in and we get caught up in the unique individual self and completely lose sight of the interdependent vast web that that is given birth from big problem big problem then you know we start the chest thumping sense of self seventh consciousness starts to the pedestal starts to come out of the out of the ground and lifting us up when the coming out of the ground and being lifted up is probably an apt metaphor because we're all rooted in the ground and in the sky and in all other aspects of the environment and all other beings so in that vein entire being the entire world exists in the time of each and every now this is kind of where i was headed when i talked about fullness for shunyata as opposed to emptiness if we see each and every moment as being entire being entire world existing in uji in this time as this being so this is true dharma i this is awakening this is no longer clinging or pushing away because each moment is full there's nothing lacking if we experience it as the eternal now as the 20th century protestant philosopher 
theologian expressed it, Paul Tillich, the eternal now. In each moment. So for, for Dogen, that's Zazen practice. That's letting go of thoughts. Thoughts are separating things out. That's what thoughts do. So when we let go of thoughts, we're entering into this space of Uji and mountains and waters before there's any separation. to see our true nature. Or for those of you who, uh, who have chanted a, a number of times with us, the uh, Jijuyu Zammai from our chant book, uh, which comes from uh, one of Dogen's earliest writings, the Bendawa, wholehearted way. In that text, he says, even if only one person sits for a short time, because this zazen is one with all existence and permeates all time. Uji, many years before he wrote Uji, he's talking about it here. It performs everlasting Buddha guidance within the inexhaustible Dharma work in the past, present, and future. So again, each and every being time is entire time. And our Zazen to see it as one with all existence and completely permeating all time. When we, we drop off our thoughts about time, past, present, future. And we're just Genjo, we're manifesting in this moment, actualizing realizing the hallmarks of existence. And it's always happening now, Uji. Always now. So this is true for each and every one of us, where we are entire time. So we're all eternal. So when you hear phrases, and I've been known to use these myself, that we're all sacred, all beings are sacred, divine. That's what's being pointed to. Each and every being time is entire time. And each and every one of us is not only all of time, but also all of space because of this vast web. As I was describing with, uh, with our uh, contact with the outer reaches of the universe. And all of this is part and parcel of the Buddhist teaching on interdependent origination. That's what it entails. So the prajna that's being presented to us by these Buddhist teachings are exactly what I've tried uh, to lay out here tonight. So that every time we sit on our cushion facing the wall, you know, we really are 
entering sacred space, to use that terminology. It's very true. So I've actually gotten a little further than I thought I might tonight, but that's because I went on longer, but I get going on this subject and it's hard to shut myself up. I'm gonna do that now. And see what, uh, what kind of response you might have to all this crazy stuff. Thank you for this talk, Dean. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's interesting to me as I, I read um, Mountains Walking. Um, I understand it in the moment, but if I ever had to explain it to someone, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> and hearing you expound on it is very helpful. But I still, I have to admit, I love it. And I, I get it in the moment. But um, in another moment, I, I will have lost it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> it total and maybe that, that goes along with my aging process and losing my memory. There but, you go. Um, it's just fascinating and so rewarding and enlightening. So thank you. Uh, and I have to say, I, I'm going to have to leave early, but thank you. Oh, just leaving on time. We're staying late. It's not that you're leaving early. <laughs> there, there's a very interesting book. Um, it's a very short book. 10 short stories that are only a few pages each. It's called Einstein's Dreams. Ah. It's by a fellow by the name of Lightman. And he's a professor of mathematics and physics at somewhere, Cornell or MIT. Okay. Um, but they're really interesting. It's, he's as good of a writer probably as he is a physicist and mathematician. Okay. Um, so Einstein's Dreams. Okay, got it down. I will check check into that. Thank you. This um, on page fifty seven, he okay. uh, uh, he talks a good deal about what you were just talking about about. Um, the last full paragraph on the page, mm -hmm. actually the second last paragraph, where he talks about that literally now doesn't exist because right. you can always split it. Yeah. I, Cliff and I had at Jacoji had a had talked about this a bit because I asked him about how can you ever be in the present moment when you're never in the present moment? <laughs> and he told me I was thinking with the wrong mind. <laughs> <laughs> I understood immediately, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the question I have, or, or the thought I have, is that time, it seems to me, is a manifestation of impermanence. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. you know, shunyata doesn't change, so there's no time. Is that accurate? Do I say, is that right? 
Well, I mean, Shunyata, yeah, it, I guess in one sense you could say it doesn't change because it's always, it's, it, it's descriptive of reality. But on the other hand, you could also say Shunyata is changed. <laughs> It's kind of like a higher, it's almost comes back to what Cliff was talking about. You're thinking with the wrong mind. It's kind of like uh, uh, a higher order. You know, the sort of thing that uh, just in terms of, of logic, uh, those paradoxes, like the uh, the liar's paradox where somebody says you know in the in the next five minutes i'm going to tell a lie and that's the only statement he makes so if he was lying he was telling the truth and if he was telling the truth he was lying <laughs> kind of along those lines <laughs> okay <laughs> So the, I love the last sentence, which I think is my latest um, koan, which is the present moment is really nothing, but this nothing is the only reality and includes all time. Boy, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That really nails it nicely. I agree. I agree. Because... Yeah, the present. I didn't say it nailed it. I said it's a koan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the only way you can nail things is with a koan. <laughs> well, it's uh, funny you should say that, John, because uh, I've been reading this book called The Order of Time by Carlo Rebelli. I don't know if any of you Oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was just looking at it. I opened it up to this page, the beginning of a chapter called Loss of Independence. And then the headline of the uh, passage before you start reading says, what happens when nothing happens is the question, you know. And it's just, this, I'm about almost halfway through this book right now. It's pretty mind-blowing stuff, <laughs> you know. And, you know, sitting here thinking about time and whatever. And what happens when nothing happens? Well, a lot of... Uh, our perception surrounds time, but what is time? You know, time, you know, and Rannigan was talking about, you know, we get it, but then we don't get it and we lose it, you know, mm -hmm. just like this little thing. I opened it up to this little thing of Zen sayings and it says, what happens to the hole when the cheese is gone? <laughs> you know, I just, I keep finding, it's ironic that this, this keeps happening. It's, I think that's something to do with quantum entanglement, you know, but, <laughs> he talks about that in this book too and it's fascinating to read uh, so I highly recommend it but just this conversation has kind of brought my mind around to that thinking good 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 well, well to build off of that and, and to try to muddy the waters even more yeah please um, I've always noticed that time is always measured by movement. It's always been since, right. since the, the time, since we've started to measure time. I mean, the old clocks literally had movements, physical movements. And right. even now with digital stuff, it's, it's still electricity goes, what, 60 cycles per second or something like that. And yeah. so it's always a gauge of movement. And so, um, what Boris just said is interesting. Well, what happens if nothing happens? So, so it's the measurement of movement, but then, and then you could ask the question, well, what's moving? Yeah, he right. talks a lot about that too, channel motion in time and, you know, in space, you know, now it's all interconnected, you know. Mm -hmm. and you can't have one without the other. You can't have time without motion or perception. Right. Uh, time or motion without our perception, you know, observing it. Right. And that brings it back to impermanence, because that's what mm -hmm. motion is. Yep. Like the hole in the cheese is very impermanent. You know, I envision myself eating a piece of Swiss cheese and just eating around the hole, then eating the border around the hole, and is the hole still there, even though I eat all the cheese? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
but the word that really helped me was uh, the word man being, you know, manifesting mm -hmm. it. But then again, I like it. Turn, I like what Dogen would do too. He would turn that around and say, "We are being manifested, mm -hmm. not not, or, or or we are being realized." So, so it's right. Yeah, yeah, because that takes our self out of the mix, which is important. To have that that way, we can experience this moment, but drained of our sense of self that I'm experiencing it, that the moment is coming forth, and here it is. <laughs> it's manifesting. And with no separation, coming back to this uh, uh, intimacy, uh, then that's exactly where we're at. Is it just the myriad things realize themselves? They come forth and manifest. And they manifest here in this moment. And, uh, but it's the fleeting moment. So that's the present that, doesn't really exist, but yet it's it's here. <laughs> I mean, we 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 know what it's pointing to, but as soon as we try to define it, uh, conceptualize it, it eludes us. Then we we end up with all these paradoxes. So that's that's thinking with the wrong mind, the conceptual mind, as opposed to intuitively. Well, of course. I understand intuitively what what the present in this manifestation, what that's pointing to. I, I have to get it because that's my life. I mean, that's my life is just the constant stream of that. But it's when I try to turn it into uh, some sort of fixed idea. This is what present is. This is what past is. This is what future is. The whole thing starts to crumble. And so all we have is the manifestation itself. Yeah. And, and to, then and what work, we do work, with to it. To work with that. Yeah. 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 And we do all these other things with it, which is okay. But, but they lead us into these paradoxes because they're not real. But they're, they're useful tools, like a lot of useful tools are. And it's kind of like uh, uh, the functioning of a computer. Talk, talk about the ultimate in useful tools. I mean, does a computer uh, understand anything? <laughs> Something I... My brush with death about three weeks ago mm. really kind of helped me a lot in a lot of ways. It kind of opened me up a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm started, well, just the other day, I was thinking back to my, my kids' childhood and, and the dog that they had and they loved that dog and the interaction with the dog. And of course now the dog is gone and, yep. and that they're not eight years old anymore. And it's, it's like a dream. I right. mean, it's literally like a dream. Yeah. And yet there is a reality to that too. It's but, still yeah. with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's exactly. still a dream. <laughs> yeah. Still a dream. Still, that's still manifesting. But it's still, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and of course, as we know, uh, how faulty our memories are. It's a, it's a dream that is only very loosely connected with anything that actually happened. There are going to be lots of, uh, lots of variants, but so what? Yeah, the energy of the mythalization of something, I've been growing to appreciate that as long as that's not abused but but the energy in a myth is just as real and strong as what really happened again right. that gets abused yeah and, and 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 so so myth gets a bad name but 
Oh, yeah. I mean, we're all a myth. <laughs> right. And, Buddhism's and... loaded with them. <laughs> Bodhidharma, nine years in the cave, staring at the wall. That sounds like a myth to me. <laughs> well, Call me we're, an unbeliever, we're all, a skeptic. But... <laughs> we're all literally myths. And, and, and it's, you know, how does that myth manifest, I think, is more... And, and to see its, its myth-like nature, to see it for what it is. That doesn't mean that just because, oh, it's a myth, you just throw it overboard. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, lots of people that understand there's no such thing as uh, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy. I mean, they, they keep doing it for monetary reasons if nothing else but hey, it, it serves a purpose are you saying that life is hit or myth <laughs> a comment where um the more I study Uji, the more I think, the more I appreciate our forms, like in the service. Mm -hmm. And when I give intention to incense and I say all oh, Buddhas, past, present, and future. Um, or even when I sit down and meditate and I bow to my cushion now, I think I'm bowing to this sacred place because there is no time separate from when all the Buddhas in past, present, and future sat in my sitting now. So I'm sitting with all of them. And the more mm -hmm. I keep bringing that up in myself in those forms the, the more i believe in it happening and then the more i keep studying and reading this that yeah you know, that's that's proper right not for me to oh yeah <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah it's been it's been helpful and it's been like i said and as and uh, i just yeah i've been doing it for quite some time so just checking in making sure and then um I also, I mean, we talked about our dokusan before uh, um, the session. There was something I told you that Brad Warner had said that zazen creates beings to do it rather than beings doing zazen. And that, and that was really impactful for me too. And then when I keep coming back forth to that, it, it also interacts with this zazen isn't just zazen. It's this, uh, you know, this thing that's outside of time and, uh, and, and, and is always being done and, and creates beings to do. I don't know, I still don't have a full understanding of that, but it's really triggers something in me to keep wanting to study that some more. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, I had a, a good a movie recommendation this last night. I watched uh, Becoming Nobody, which is a new Ram Das documentary. Oh, okay. Okay. Very, very, very well done. Becoming Nobody. I don't know where you can find it. I have a, a, a legal jailbroken fire stick that I use. It's available on Prime. Okay. <laughs> okay. Very, it was very good. It's just kind of a long, uh, kind of a documentary on Ram Dass, but it had some really recent footage of him right before he, he passed. Oh. And it, it had a lot of great quotes in it. Actually, I, one quote was a Trump Rinpoche quote that said, enlightenment is the ego's ultimate disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> If you're enlightened, then the disappointment drops off. So it's okay. <laughs> if you're disappointed, you're not enlightened. <laughs> or as the Freudian, as the Freudians would call it, the depressive position. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of movies, just a real quick side note. Uh, when, when it's safe to congregate again, I think movie theaters are not going to be the same ever again. And what, what uh, they've already introduced, where you can uh, kind of rent the theater and uh, bring your DVD in, so we can have movie nights on the big screen rather than here at Cutter's Creek and, uh, and do it properly. Because uh, Cynthia and I were at a place for, for dinner a week or two ago, and the waitress uh, was telling us about her, her father 
uh, is his had arranged a family outing and it's a hundred dollars. I think up with a maximum of 20 people, which would be enough for us. And yeah, so down the road, you know. Big Lebowski first. <laughs> the dude abides. Yeah. So, so saith the doodly llama. I am an ordained uh, Dudist priest. Yeah. As am I. I am not surprised. <laughs> okay. I actually sent my credentials into the Secretary of State so I could actually marry a friend of mine to his wife. I performed his wedding a couple of years ago. <laughs> with my dudist credentials. <laughs> Jeez. Boy, oh boy. All right. Well, are we done? <laughs> my sharing things, there it is. Not working properly. I can go grab Eco Dharma off the bookshelf. <laughs> it's yeah. in the appendix to that. There we go. Hurry up, Keith. I know that the, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, debate. But even when I share, it's going to this read, and I got to open it. Doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> There we go. I vow to myself and to each of you to commit myself daily to the healing of our world and the welfare of all being, to live on earth more lightly and less violently in the food, practice,